Matthew 25, we're going to, we'll be starting in verse 1, but I uh, just want to talk briefly about what's going on here in chapter 24. So we have uh, Jesus going uh, with his disciples up to the Mount of Olives, and he's talking to them about what things are going to be like at the end of time, what things are going to be like in Jerusalem. Uh, not long after he's talking to them at that time, but then he goes on to talk about what's going on at the end of time and what will be the sign of the end of, of all things. And uh, uh, so he's talking about, you know, nations will be against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms, and there will be famines, earthquakes, persecutions, there will be false prophets. And uh, then in 24, verses 12 and 13, he says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So he's saying because of the conditions of all the things, all the things going on on in the final days, uh, the love of most will grow cold. And he's talking not not about those who don't believe, but as we go on and we read here through chapter 25, you'll see that he's talking about the love of some who actually are pursuing him. Some people who love Christ, that love will grow cold because of all the things that are going on around them. Uh, in the world at that time. Uh, so the, the first thing that we have to understand in all of this, to understand the passage that we're actually going to be looking at today, we have to understand that it is entirely possible for any believer to slowly grow cold in their love for God. Uh, this can happen so slowly. Uh, most times it happens so slowly that we don't even realize it's happening until we you know, hit some sort of point where things become reality or we're confronted with something and then we look back and see how far we have drifted. And if you look in Revelation chapter uh, 2, it says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So he's talking to the church. This is a letter to the church in Ephesus. He's talking to people that have uh, persevered and endured endured hardships for his name. But then in verse 4 he says, Yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So he's saying, you're doing all these things, persevering, you're enduring hardships, all of these things, but somewhere in your heart you have separated yourself. You have drifted from the place of actually loving uh, your Savior. You have, you have drifted from that place. And it's, it's possible for us as Christians to be in the place where we have accepted Christ, where we have walked with him, and we have uh, kept our eyes fixed on him, but to be taken away by all of the things that are around us, all the hardships and the afflictions and the difficulties around us, it is easy for us to be consumed by those things and lose the point of our actual Christian walk, to miss the point. Uh, that, there are a lot of Christian things that we can do. We talked about Wednesday night, if you were here, I can't remember who said it, but uh, there are ways today that in the church that we are a mile wide and an inch deep, meaning that we are doing a lot of things. That we have programs for this and that. You get on, uh, you can find sermons on any topic you can imagine. You get on YouTube, you can find a sermon about anything. You go to a Christian bookstore, you can find a book about anything. You can find curriculums, people telling you how you should go about 
you know, setting up your church in order to, uh, in order to grow as a church. You can find Bible study after Bible study telling you what you should do in order to know Christ. All of these things, but we can get consumed by these things and miss the heart of the issue. Miss our actual relationship with Christ because we're doing a lot of things. The first thing we have to understand is, just because something looks like a good Christian thing to do doesn't mean that's what you need to be doing in this moment. Sometimes there are things where we're running around doing a lot of things, but we're not pursuing our actual relationship. We're not cultivating an actual relationship with Christ. That is first and foremost before anything that we do. I've said it before, but A.W. Tozer talks about how God can never be pleased with our work if he's not pleased with our worship. So in order for us to accomplish anything, there's nothing that we are doing for God if we're not first a true worshiper. Everything that we do for God flows out of our heart of worship. And that takes us fixing our eyes on Him and walking in relationship with Him. So everything that we do flows out of our aim to glorify Him. Everything. When we teach Sunday school, when we, if, if a church decides to, to take some sort of program and set it up so that we can figure out how to be on the same page and grow a church, we do that out of a heart of worship. It doesn't come, we don't set these things in place. We don't look at Bible studies, all of these things, and hope that that magically takes us to the place of knowing God. The point is the disposition of our heart. That's what all of this comes down to as a Christian, is what is the disposition of our heart? Do I desire to know God? Do I desire to walk with Him above all things, above everything else? And the point is that we don't spread ourselves so thin doing a million things that we miss the depth that is available to us in Christ. We have to understand that God wants to take us uh, into the depths of who He is and understand who He is and walk with Him in relationship and having fellowship and having peace with Him. He wants that for us, but too many times we're running all over the place doing too many things and we miss the point of the issue. So my, what we need to understand is in all of the things that we do as a Christian, we've got to make sure we're not missing the point. We've got to make sure that we're not uh, missing the actual fellowship and relationship with Christ and all the things we do as a church. Because we can accomplish things. I think today some, some of the, the ways that we uh, you know, determined that an event worked well is nobody complained very much and nobody was hurt. So it was obviously a success. That doesn't necessarily mean something successful in the eyes of God. Sometimes something might be successful in the eyes of God and a lot of people complain about it. Because it makes people uncomfortable when God moves sometimes. What I'm saying is that we can't judge things by our human vision. We have to allow God to be the one that defines success and God to be the one that defines relationship with Him. We have to allow God to be the one who defines our walk with Him, where He wants us to go, what He wants us to do. We have to allow Him to be the one who determines those things. But the point is, He's saying here in Revelation, that I hold this against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So He's saying well, what we need is a point where in our lives as Christians, where we can actually honestly evaluate where we stand spiritually. And I think I've talked about this before, but Chuck Swindoll wrote a book called The Church Awakening, and he talks about how when he was younger, he went to uh, a lake. His grandfather had a cabin by a lake that they went to every year. And he said at one point his grandfather took him out and they pounded a stake in the ground out by the bank, you know, a few feet back from the bank. And he said that every year they would go out and measure the bank uh, along the lake to see how far or how much has eroded on the bank of that lake. 
and, and every year they would go and they would be able to see how much of the bank was you know, taken off by the storms and the, and the waves and all of those things. And he said, if they, had they not pounded the stake in the ground, they wouldn't have been able to measure. They wouldn't have known. It would have happened so slowly over the years because it might be an inch one year and the next year it might be two or three inches. But over time, you don't necessarily see that year to year unless you have some sort of measuring rod to understand how much is being taken. So the point is, as Christians, that we have to have some sort of stake in the ground where we pound this on the ground and we say every year, I'm going to measure myself off of this, I think being the Word of God and the Spirit of God making the Word living and active, understanding the principles of God, but we, we have that as our measuring rod to understand today where I am at. And then a year from now, I can look back and see, have I actually made progress? Have I actually moved forward in my spiritual walk? Or am I standing still? Or have I lost ground? And next year you do the same thing. But you have something consistent that you look at. And you understand that that sounds simple to us, that we have the Word of God to give us a measuring line, some sort of stake in the ground to measure our spiritual walk off. That, that sounds simple to us. But too many times we don't do that as Christians. We have no idea what God actually says about His principles in His Word. Because you understand... Uh, in America, we have we have so many resources available. I talked about it. we have Christian bookstores, we have sermons, we have radio programs, all of these things, and yet, for some reason, we are still so passive. And I say that because uh, it was years ago, but I was in, I think, I can't remember where we were at, uh, one of the international youth conventions, but there was a lady who was talking about, she was a missionary in, in one country, I can't even remember where it was at at the time, but they didn't have the Word of God in their language. They didn't have it. Uh, and she was talking about how, uh, you know, they finally got it translated. And when the boat was coming in, bringing the word of God, they were so excited and jumping over each other to get uh, 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 their hands on the word of God. And there are videos you can find online, videos of that in places where the church is persecuted. There are videos like in China and things like that where they are so excited to get a hold of the word of God. Uh, but... The point is that sometimes our affluence leads us to the place of passivity. Because of all of that, I mean, some of us have six or seven Bibles sitting on our shelves. But again, the point is we've got to figure out what the measuring line is. We have the Word of God, but it doesn't do us any good unless it's a stake in the ground that is pounded in our hearts, the principles of God rooted and established in our hearts, so we can determine then, have I gained ground? Am I moving forward spiritually? If we're not using it as our measuring line, then it doesn't do us any good. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. We can hear the Word of God over and over. We can hear people telling us the things that we need to do. We can hear people telling us. We can listen to sermons over over and over. But unless we get to the point of actually determining what does this mean in my life? What do I do with this? How do I apply this? It doesn't do us any good. See, listening to sermons doesn't get us to heaven. Reading Bible studies doesn't get us to heaven. Reading books on God doesn't get us to heaven. It's taking those principles that are contained there and applying them to our hearts. Allowing them then to affect how we live around us. But what I'm saying in all of this is the Word of God is given to us as a measuring rod to help us understand our hearts and where we need, where we stand with God first and then where He wants us to be, and where He says that He will take us if we walk with our eyes fixed on Him. Uh, but what I'm saying in all of this is 
that is entirely possible for us to allow our hearts to grow cold uh, just being consumed by the things around us if we're not intent on walking in light of the measuring rod that we have and allowing God to, to uh, uh, reveal our hearts. Um, so there, there are countless opportunities uh, in this world that lead us or, or take us on a detour, detour around uh, our, our path to walking with God. We have this path where we're walking on with Him. But everywhere we go, we have uh, people and things trying to pull us off of that road in a certain direction. Uh, in everything, I, I mean, if you have TV and, and cable and all of those things, I guarantee every time a commercial comes on, somebody's trying to get you to buy something, right? Somebody's trying to tell you, you need this. And it's as simple as that. It's as simple as a commercial on TV. It's as, as simple as somebody in your life that's trying to pull you a certain direction that you were trying to walk this road. And something or someone is trying to tell you, well, you need to go over here first. Uh, so we need to make sure as Christians that our eyes are fixed on God and we will not take a de- detour from that road. But that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 24, he's saying, because of the increase of wickedness, all of the things that are going on around us, nations against nations, famines, earthquakes, persecutions, false prophets, all of these things, the love of most will grow cold. He says in verse 13, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So then he goes on into chapter 25 to explain what things will be like uh, in his coming. So we're going to start um, chapter 25 in verse 1. Uh, it says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out uh, to meet the bridegroom. Five of, them, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go out to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, Open the door for us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Uh, so what, what we're talking about here in this, uh, uh, this parable that Jesus is telling, we have to kind of understand uh, the imagery he's using here in light of the customs at that time. And from everything that I have read, I gather that the custom was something like they, the, the bridegroom would propose in, in some sort of complicated method. Uh, but uh, after they would become engaged, the, the bridegroom would go off and prepare his home for the bride. And uh, after a period of time, he would come back, but he wouldn't necessarily say when he was coming back. It could have been, he might get, have given a general idea, but he didn't say at this day, at this time. He's not like us Americans who want to know this is happening at this moment. If it doesn't, I'm going to be upset. It's not how this worked. He would tell them that uh, you know he was coming back maybe a general time, but it, it could have been any time. It could have been in that time period. It could have been any time of the day. Uh, and generally, I, I, I gather from reading this that a lot of times it would happen at night. 
could even happen in the middle of the night that the bridegroom would show up and he would begin to announce his arrival and the people around him would announce his arrival. Uh, so that's what Jesus is talking about here in these moments, the, that custom from that time. He was relating this to the people. Uh, so what he's saying, though, in this is that you had five that were wise and five that were foolish. And he's illustrating for us here the need, the need for us to watch because there are some who fail to reach the prize. There are some that fail to reach the end of their spiritual journey. This is what he's saying here. There, there are some people who were set up for this, some people who were walking in this who didn't have enough to get to the end. That's what he's saying. Now, what we have to understand in this is first that it is possible for somebody who is saved to fall away from grace. There are places that you will go in this in Christianity where they will tell you that when you accept Christ, that you are saved no matter what. That is not true. Now we can get there's a lot more that we could get into today, uh, but we don't have time for that today. Eventually, maybe we'll talk about that more. But uh, as simple as Second Peter three seventeen says, therefore he's writing to the church. This is a letter to the church, the saved in Christ. He says, therefore, dear friends. Since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless and fall from your secure position. He's saying you've got to be careful. Because your, your salvation is secure in God. I, I don't have to worry about God taking away my salvation. What we worry about is me being carried away by the lawlessness around me in life. Me turning my attention to something else. Me allowing my eyes to be fixed and taken away from its fixed position in Christ and to be turned to something else. And when I do that, I separate myself. It's not a matter of God saying, you're not good enough for me anymore, or I don't want you, or you didn't do enough good things. It's not a matter of that at all. It's a matter of me turning myself and going a different direction. The Bible says that is absolutely possible. And there, as I said, there's a lot more that we could get into that shows that. Uh, but we don't have time for that uh, this morning. But what he is saying is that we have to understand that it's possible for us to fall. Uh, Matthew, uh, in verse 7, the vir- then the virgins woke up. As the bridegroom arrived, in verse 7, then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for you. And us instead go sell your oil or go uh, to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. Uh, so we have to understand that it is possible for us to turn away uh, from the grace that has been given to us, the mercies that have been given to us. So he's saying be careful in your spiritual walk, in your pursuit of God, uh, and make sure that we're cultivating a life that is sensitive to the graces of God. Uh, we also understand this from uh, Matthew chapter 13, that uh, in, in verse 4, it says, uh, starting in verse 4, As he was scattering seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Uh, and then in verse 20, Jesus explains this to the disciples. He said, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word, and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, uh, they quickly fall away. So what he is saying here is 
the same as the people in the parable, they, they had their lamps, they had, at one time they were burning, they were able to light their lamps again, but it says that they were going out because they didn't have the provision to continue on. They didn't have enough to continue on the rest of the way. And in the same way, he's saying that there is seed that goes out and it falls on the rocky ground and it springs up. And it can spring up quickly. But eventually the sun comes and burns it up because it doesn't have any root system. And what we're saying here is that as Christians, we have to cultivate a life where we are walking in the graces of God. Where we are walking in His provision daily. Where we are cultivating a life where there is actually root. As I talked in the beginning, stepping into the depths of who God is. We cannot be shallow Christians because at some point... The heat is going to come. At some point, the afflictions, the suffering, the trials are going to come. And all of it that our spiritual walk is will be burned up because there is no root. There is nothing to feed our spiritual walk. And what he's saying, uh, Romans 5, chapter 17 says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life uh, through the one man, Jesus Christ. So he is saying that, uh, he's saying that God has provided us in Christ abundant provisions of grace through the gift of righteousness. And we can reign in life through that in Christ. But what, what he is saying then is that God has provided for us everything that is necessary for us to finish our journey in Him. God has not just offered us salvation and then left us up to our own strength to try to make it through this life. He's not left us to that at all. What He's saying is, I have a provision of grace that is available for you to step into and walk in that. And the grace gives you strength and empowerment to walk through this life uh, on that path and to not fall though there are traps everywhere around you. Now you understand that that is a life that we have to cultivate. And we cultivate that life in advance. And I know I've said this before, but the point is that so many times we get stuck, we wait until the moment of of affliction or trial to begin preparing ourselves uh, for what's to come. And then we cry out for the strength of God. When what we are to be doing is cultivating a life where God's graces are built up and stored up in our hearts. And then when the day of trial comes, we have all of that stored up within us. We are already strong in Him. We are strong in Him. I might be weak in my flesh. I might feel bad. I might have a difficult time in my flesh. But I have the provision of God, the graces of God stored up in my heart. And I walk through things in His strength because of the provisions of grace. He has that available for you today. Now the problem comes when we are so short-sighted to think that we're not going to ever face anything. When we're so short-sighted to, to accept just where I'm at spiritually today. We have to... I can't remember. I was I was at a I was leading worship for a revival service somewhere, and the pastor said uh, that we need to be desperately dissatisfied with our current spiritual condition. Now, that's not to mean that we need to be 
uh, miserable, miserable, joyless people. We're thankful for the hope that we have in Christ, but we should want more of that. I should be dissatisfied with what I have now because I want more. Because I want more of Him. Because I want more of His love to be poured in my heart. Because I want more of His grace and His mercy to be poured in my heart. That when times of difficulty come, that overflows out of me. Because that's what my heart is conditioned towards. That takes our careful thought. It takes our careful attention uh, to store up. And that's, that's the point of what he's getting to here is that there were the, the five that had the oil stored up for them to walk the rest of the journey. They thought ahead. When they needed to trim their lamps again, they had the oil to keep feeding the lamp the rest of the way. They didn't have to fear that their lamps would go out because they took what they needed. But there were the others who just took what they had. They thought it would be enough to carry them through. We can't be people that are short-sighted as believers. We have to be people who will, in the provisions of God's graces, allow them to be stored up in our hearts that we can finish well. Uh, because he said in uh, uh, verse 5, 25, 5, uh, he said, The bridegroom was long in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now you understand that there was no, there was no criticism in them falling asleep. Every one of them fell asleep. That wasn't necessarily the problem. There was no condemnation for them becoming drowsy and falling asleep. So what we understand from that is as believers, even strong believers, there are moments of weariness in our spiritual walk. There are moments when our strength, uh, feels like it's being tested. There are moments of difficulties and suffering. That's going to come. But again, five of them had stored up the provision for the rest of the journey. They had what that was necessary to complete their journey. The other ones didn't. They fell asleep. They became weary. And there's nothing wrong with becoming weary as Christians if we have the graces of God stored up in our hearts and are able to continue on walking in that journey. What becomes a problem is when our weariness is compounded by not having the graces of God stored up within our hearts. And then when it's time for action, we have nothing in us. There's nothing there. We have to, in all of this, we understand that we're also not, we're not pursuing God, we're not watching and preparing out of fear. You know, a lot of times we, we look at a passage like this and it talks about, this is what Christ is talking about in all of this, into chapter 25, is being, watch, being watchful. Because you don't know when the bridegroom's coming and being prepared to continue on in that journey. We have to understand that we're not watchful out of fear. If you're saved in Christ, you have nothing to fear. There's nothing for us to fear when the bridegroom comes. We're not watching out of a heart of fear. We're watching out of a heart of hope. 
We're watching out of, as we've been talking about in First Peter, where he says that we have a living hope, a hope that is available to us that is living and active, not something that is just on a shelf somewhere where we access whenever we feel like we need it, but we have a living hope to carry us through every single day. A living hope that continues to build itself in you through the Spirit, through the Word. It continues to build up within you. And then he goes on to say we have an inheritance. And we are co-heirs with Christ. So we are watchful for the bridegroom because it's a joyous occasion when the bridegroom comes. It's a joyous occasion. If Christ came now and the end of all things were, was here, for us who are saved, it's a joyous occasion. And even if we're not here, the moment He comes, the moment we draw our last breath, is a moment of peace. It's a moment of joy. It's difficult for those who mourn our loss around here. That's never easy. But for the person as, that draws their last breath in Christ, there is a moment of joy reaching your final reward because you have walked in the provisions of God's graces. You have set your hope on, live, on the living hope. You have fixed your eyes on the living hope. You have become, in that moment you draw your last breath, you're saved in Christ. You have entered in the finality of that uh, becoming an heir with Christ. You are a co-heir with Him. You are realizing the fullness of what that means. You see the end of the hope. You see the fullness of what you have inherited. We stand before God as He is. There is nothing to fear in the bridegroom coming. But we cultivate a heart of walking the provisions of God's graces with hope set before us. Uh we also have to understand that there is never, we never have any idea when that moment is going to come. And we say those things a lot in church. I know people all the time say about, you never know when it's going to happen. But a lot of times that's not necessarily a reality for us. We don't think through what that actually means. Uh, I, when I was in Brookville, my our church was directly off Interstate 80, and you know, in the winter when the leaves were off the trees, I could see the interstate from the window in my office. And I don't know, during the winter it was maybe maybe a couple times a year that uh, the interstate would be shut down, and and there would be trucks just, I mean, you could not get anywhere. There was no, you couldn't even attempt to go somewhere. Uh, it was shut down because the interstate was really bad sometimes and there would be huge accidents just right there, right, right, you know, basically out the window. I couldn't see them, but they were in that general area. Uh, and a lot of times people would die in that. And I, I don't know why I think crazy things, but so many times I would think like, you know, somebody's coming around this bend not realizing, and you got 30 seconds left. They're just come around the bend. You got 10 seconds left. They have absolutely no idea that's coming. You got 10 seconds left in your life. You have no idea. Isn't that a crazy thought? 10 seconds left. You have no idea. But you understand how quickly things can be taken away, and your life ends. And as us as believers, there, whenever that moment comes, 
uh, we should be perfectly at peace because the provisions of God's graces are stored up in my heart to carry me through that moment. Though it's difficult for our loved ones, I would say that it should be slightly easier for them because they have seen the provisions of God's graces stored up in our hearts. But that doesn't take away the, the suffering. That doesn't take away the pain of loss. It doesn't take away grief. But I don't know about you, but it's been, in my experience, it's a lot easier when you knew somebody had the provisions of God's graces stored up in their hearts. It's a lot easier to see them walk into eternity than when you didn't know. I'd much rather have somebody, my family or my friends, know that the provisions of God's graces were stored up in my heart and they saw them overflowing out of me. They saw me as somebody who was built up in that. And when I draw my last breath, they can at least, through grief, be at peace knowing that there is a final realization for that person of the living hope, of the inheritance in your standing in the midst of that in that moment. In all of this, uh, the worship team is going to come up as we close. And uh, all of this is amazing how Jesus said that there were five that were prepared. There were five that were wise. There were five who were foolish. And how foolish it is today to have the provisions of God's graces available to us. To walk in the provisions of grace. Giving us everything we need to sustain us until we stand before Him. How foolish if we don't step into that. How foolish if we don't take more and more provision, if we're not prepared to have what it takes to sustain us. Now what that takes is cultivating a heart that is a home for the Holy Spirit. And doing that consistently. I can't through my work store up enough strength to get me from here through to eternity. I can't work in my strength to be strong enough to get me through affliction and suffering. I can't do that. It takes me actively cultivating a heart for the Spirit of God to dwell within me and to apply the Word of God to my heart. And through that, the God's graces are built up within our hearts to carry us through until the last moment. But how foolish if we don't ever take advantage of that. And not just because of eternity, not just because... Uh, we want to go to heaven, but how foolish just the simple fact that the Creator of all things for some reason has looked on the miserable heart of man and chose to redeem us. And not only that, but then to pour His provisions of grace into me. The God who has created all things has looked on my heart and your heart individually, knowing you by name, and has said that He would pour His provisions of grace in your heart. And that I don't have to do it in my strength. I don't have to walk from here to eternity in my strength. I don't have to walk through suffering in my strength. But the God who's created all things has said, I will pour my provisions of grace in your hearts. And out of that, 
you will be strengthened by my Spirit to walk. All it takes is us keeping our eyes fixed on worshiping Him and glorifying Him, cultivating our heart for His Spirit to dwell within us. God, we thank You today again for the opportunity to worship You and to be together. For what it means that You would look into our hearts and desire to pour Your graces within us, to instill in us Your love and Your mercy, that they would overflow. It wouldn't just be a small provision, but daily we can take more and we can take more. That those things would overflow out of our hearts into those around us and into the world around us. Father, help us to not be foolish. Help us to be prepared. Help us to prepare ourselves for what is to come, for affliction or pain or suffering. Prepare ourselves for the moment where You finally come or where we draw our last breath. Knowing that it is not out of our own strength that we can get there. As only as we walk in the strength of Your Spirit. Father, we love You and we glorify You today. In Your name we pray. Amen. The moon and stars they wept, the morning sun was dead, the Savior of the world was Oh, okay.